Hey, Jeff. Welcome to the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on this week. Hey, Amanda, my good friend. How are you? Doing all right. Starting to warm up a little bit in New Orleans, as I know it is in Florida. So things are looking up. Um, For anybody who doesn't know you, will you give us an introduction? Yeah, I will. Thank you. And and when you said about the weather, I started thinking about eating some oysters in New Orleans, but I know we'll probably save that important topic for later in the conversation. So, so quick background. I live in Pensacola, Florida. That's my hometown. In the early part of my career, though, I lived in New York City, in Austin, and Dallas. I'm not an accountant. I think that's important, I guess. And what's relevant, I guess, to accounting salon in our conversations is um, about nine years ago, I uh, was part of a team that started Accounting Fly, which is a recruiting, recruiting company. This episode of Accounting Salon Conversations is sponsored by our launch partner, Rippling. Rippling is more than payroll, and now that most employees are working remotely, your clients need more than just payroll. They need payroll, HR, and IT all working together in an all-in-one, modern, flexible system. By using Rippling, when you add a new employee to payroll, you're simultaneously enrolling them in benefits, instantly setting up their email, and even sending them a computer preloaded with all the software and apps they need to do their job. Imagine how impressed your clients will be when this takes only 90 seconds. Right now, I'm sure most of you are doing just payroll, but with Rippling, you'll be able to expand the advisory work you're offering your clients. Rippling offers accountants free payroll and HR for their firms, a client dashboard, dedicated accountant support, and white glove migrations from other just payroll systems. To learn how you can evolve your client advisory services beyond bookkeeping and just payroll, head over to accountingsalonconversations.promo slash rippling. That's accountingsalonconversations.promo forward slash R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G. Rippling, everything your clients need. And just for listeners of the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast, Rippling is offering a $100 Amazon gift card for any listener that attends a demo. I was at monster.com before that, as you know, and was a recruiter in the software industry before that. So I came up as a recruiter and wanted to start a company in my hometown, which we did. Along the way, Accounting Fly acquired Going Concern, which is a website, if you don't know, that's that's considered required reading for, by big four staff. It's crazy. We probably have 200,000 unique people reading our content last month. And so it's it's kind of two interesting online businesses. Accountify has evolved over the years. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but we do recruiting and staffing mostly for CPA firms and accounting firms. And um, in 2020, during the pandemic, I changed jobs, which is which was just kind of outrageous. But um, I'm now the CEO of Paget Business Services. And Paget is a large, small business tax accounting and payroll firm. Still involved in Accounting Fly, but running Paget and on this new chapter. So it's been, it is, it's been a, it's really been a crazy decade. But the last twelve months have been really, really surreal. Yeah, I, I happened to see you right after you started that job. Um, you were probably one of the first friends I saw after the beginning of the pandemic in person, and you and I, I happened to be close to Pensacola. And so went over and had lunch with you and you told me about this. And, um, and I was, I think as excited as you were, (laughs) I just knew this was such a good opportunity for you and you were the right person. I mean, you and I have, have done a lot of things together, but one thing that I know about you is that you were 
a big thinker, you're a visionary. And that's, I think, probably exactly what Paget needs right now. So congrats. One of the, um, the, it's funny, the, the accounting salon actually came up during the interview phase when I was talking to Paget. I was really interested in, in taking this role, but we've been exposed to some big thinkers and, and, and through the salon. So, so I, I thought a lot about the, the folks that I've met through that group while I was trying to, you know, meet with the board at Paget, talk about what we thought, what I thought that we should do. And so it's, it, it is funny how things kind of come full circle, but it's great. I love it. And it's, um, you're right. I think you were the first person I told when this happened. Well, I can't wait to see what you do with it. I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous success and um, I'm really proud of you. So um, I always talk about the first time I meet someone in person, but for you, you and I kind of got to be friends before we even met in person. Uh, we, in the zero world, had a lot of mutual friends, a lot of crossover. You were doing a lot of work with zero on the recruiting side in conjunction with them, partnering with them. I had spoken at ZeroCon. I was doing stuff on the accounting side, evangelist side for zero. And so you and I had, I think, did not meet in person for a long time. But I remember someone telling me, you got to get on the phone with Jeff Phillips. You know, he's innovative dude. He lives down the street from you in Pensacola, which for the audience is about three hours away from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got on the, on the call and I think, I don't know what we were supposed to end up talking about, like what the purpose was other than we were supposed to meet, but I know we went over the hour that we were allocated. I, I can remember sitting in my office, my feet on the window and just being like this dude, like we are fast buddies that was probably a year before we actually met in person, like you said. And we met in person at the ZeroCon in Atlanta. At a bar. <laughs> yes. Yes. The first I remember seeing year. you coming across the room. And I was like, I, that's my <laughs> deep, dear friend, Jeff, that I've never actually seen in person. You ever thought about over the past, let's say, five years, I bet you have people that you're pretty close with that you still haven't met in person or you've met like fewer than one time in actual person. Yeah. When I think about accounting salon specifically, you know, we didn't get to have an onsite last year. So there are 10 people that I still haven't met in person. And, you know, we do a lot of online content and a lot of zoom stuff, zoom events. And I feel like they're, you know, my dear pals, but there are folks in there that I've never laid eyes on. Uh, First time we met was at ZeroCon. But let's talk about another first. How about the first accounting salon? So you were one of the original 18 members that, you know, David and I had this idea that we were going to invite some really smart people and throw, and basically just sit in a boardroom and or my backyard and have some drinks and talk about accounting. And so a few people that were in that group, he and I asked uh, to present, to create some content. And so being the visionary and planner that you are, we asked you to um, do a session called strategic planning, colon, not just a bag of bullshit. That's right. And so the content was around how firms need to do strategic planning. But what is the mo- what is even more memorable to me about that session besides the, besides the title were your slides. 
Can you explain to the audience, the listening audience, what your slides looked like for that presentation? I think the slides were more impactful than the actual content in, in strategic planning. Um, but I always get a kick out of internet stock photography. And I think it's funny when people use internet, generic internet stock photography in their websites or because you can always tell when it's stock photography um, and especially in presentations. So I got on this kick of building out presentations that I was doing that only had stock internet photography, like people giving high fives, uh, people in business suits beginning a race at a high school track while carrying a briefcase. What are these things communicating? And <laughs> I just don't know. So right, like what is, what is the imagery behind, you know, six people in suits heels running down a high school track? The, the, the images though got progressively worse there. I started putting images that had, um, the the water what is it called the, the watermark, watermark. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean the, the, there was uh, there's some really great images in there but the best one was definitely the business people lining up on the high school track one of them was carrying a briefcase you know they're running the race for life um, it, perfect metaphor for business and and a and a perfect slide for my presentation it is the perfect bad metaphor for working in a traditional accounting firm to be honest. Like, it's really about that bad. Like, your feet are going to kill you. You're never going to – it's horrible. It's hot. You're just – it's a martyrdom. You know, who's going to take one for the team? It's just the perfect bad metaphor for life in a bad accounting firm. Being in the recruiting business uh, in the accounting profession, um, I, I can wholeheartedly agree that there are some, some really bad uh, places to work and some really bad websites with – with bad stock photography. And I'm sure that image, if we, if, if we had a day to just look around the old internet, I bet we could find that picture on an accounting firm website. I bet you're right. Well, let me ask you this. Here's a, here's a question for you, which has been harder for you um, recruiting talent to work at traditional stale green marble accounting firms or Working at home with three kids. Which one's tougher, Jeff? It's such a loaded question. Okay, but I have an answer. And finding... So Accounting Fly's story is that every, every startup needs a mission, right? And our mission was we're going we're gonna to solve the talent crisis that's happening in the public accounting profession. That was what we aspire to do. And if you know our story, we, f we failed at that fairly continuously for many years. And, it, it be and everybody that has worked in an accounting firm has had a hard time recruiting. And it wasn't until we started getting exposure through our experience at ZeroCon, we started getting exposed to more remote and more progressive firms that were great workplaces and were lighting the world on fire. And that became our that became who we wanted to work with. That's really how we met. And so we, we realized that if you want to solve the talent crisis in accounting, then, you, then remote must be a part of your recruiting strategy. And we stopped working with anyone who wouldn't 
embrace that with us. But when I say that it was hard to fill those jobs in those markets in Tulsa and Birmingham and Sacramento, that is far harder than being at home during the pandemic with three kids. And this is how hard it is. I was running that company with three kids at home, homeschooling them from March the 15th until you know Memorial Day of last year. And again, this year, because my wife my wife had to go to work and I had to stay at home. So it was like, wake up at 4.30 a.m., try to get a little work done, um, you know, run the kids for a little while. So yes, recruiting into the traditional firm environment far harder than pandemic parenting. And your kids are back, right? They're back in school now. Yeah, we live in Florida and uh, things are pretty loosey-goosey around here. So it, we, we've been back in school since August. Yeah, same in New Orleans. But I know there are folks that we're friends with that I think kids are maybe just starting to go back to school now or did just at the beginning of the year. That's crazy. So I, I my children are, as you know, are teenagers. Um, and so they're kind of on their own. Like, I don't even know if I could homeschool them. I mean, they're taking anatomy and Latin and Spanish four and all these crazy things that I don't know. So I don't think I could. I feel so, so dearly for the, for those of you with smaller children, like your youngest is Mally's seven, six, She's five, so she was four five. when this all started. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like that's that's important. That's like, like you get somebody has to teach you how to read, you know, and, and like become a, a person. So that that's Good a job, tough Josh. age. The, and you're right. The there, I, I hope when this is all over and and things have returned to normal, that they can do a study about what it was like for working parents in 2020 and 2021 and the, the challenges that, that they went through it what it, it was it was tough i mean i feel like i feel like you can't complain if if you're healthy but it was it was brutal it was brutal on on those parents and all of us who are, who are trying to balance career and kids and it was very tough on the kids i'm sure although my kids i don't know about yours but they don't seem to really be too phased by everything that's happened you know mine were in a bad spot when it first started because they are teenagers they're so social the idea that you know in the beginning when we thought it was only gonna last two weeks or four weeks i was super strict with them you can't leave you can't you know leave the house and so they were really weren't able to see friends at all and then we started to loosen up a little bit where we'd let them hang out with a couple of kids you know just a, a small pot of, of children so they, they i mean they were i don't want to say they were depressed but i think they were going there if it hadn't opened up this is what I learned, and I think I'll take it with me when it comes to work. It's um, do one thing well and ignore the other thing and then switch. You know, you, I can't – I don't know if you're a multitasker, but I'm not. I'm like, I'm going to work – I'm going to structure it so I can work as hard as I can until it was time to go all in on the kids. Anytime I try to do both or like try to have a call and try to homeschool or even give my attention to my email – it caused a lot of stress. I remember on the day three of the pandemic, I had a very uncomfortable conversation with a client. Very uncomfortable conversation. I just have to leave it at that. With my four-year-old on my knee on a Zoom call, and we were discussing a, a, a business situation that did not go well, and she is privy to the whole conversation. Life, life in March 2020, which was a year well, ago. Um, so that is an interesting um, segue because you recently turned me on to a book that I'm about halfway through called Deep Work, and so that the, I mean the whole basis of that book is about focused work, right? And uh, focused work and the lack of distractions 
non-distracted work. So tell me, tell me and tell the listeners, um, how have you folded that into your professional life? And do you think it's making a difference and how are things better, worse? <clears throat> this is from Cal Newport and who one Cal has a great blog. I think it's studyhacks.com. You just Google him. He also wrote a book that I'm reading now called a world without email. I got it on pre order and I just started into it. And it's awesome. Cause I don't know about you, but I could, I could live in that world. Um, so Cal's big thing is 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 deep work, and what that means is we we are in such a distracted phase uh, in the knowledge economy. We we really haven't figured out how to work and succeed in the knowledge economy. It's too new, and and one way that we have adapted to this is to live inside our email inbox all the time and and be open to constant distractions. Um, that is a recipe for burnout. Is a recipe for lack of productivity. You feel busy but you're not being successful. You're not productive. And so the answer to that, his answer is to, is to what he calls time block parts of your day where you can dedicate to really moving the ball forward on an important project. What are your most important goals? Are you actually spending time every day or, or in structured time doing it? And during those times, you don't get on Twitter. You, you don't check Slack. You don't check your email. Your phone is, my phone is in airplane mode. And so then you batch time to check the email a couple times a day and you have a much more structured day. So I really wasn't doing a very good job of doing this. I could talk about it in theory, but I wasn't very good at practice. But, the, but during the pandemic, I had no choice but to get there. So now I, I'm showing you this because we're on video, you and I are, but I'm showing my time block planner. That's his other book. And it, it, it is a way to structure your day every day. So you have time, intentional time to work on your most important projects. And I think in accounting, is there a, accounting and computer science to me are the two professions with the most need for non-interrupted productive time. It's one reason, by the way, remote work is so effective in accounting. But um, if you don't give yourself that, you, 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 you're going to struggle. And I'm, and I'm, what do you, you know, does that resonate with you? And do you, do you have a different spin on the book now that you're, you've started to read it? I agree with everything you just said, and I'll add to that in a second. But it, but a couple of years ago, I read a book called Quiet by Susan Kane, and I quote this book all the time. I talk about it all the time, and it's, um, it's about introverts and how to how introverts can um, be successful in a world that can't stop talking. I think it's something along the, the subtitle is something like that. And part of what she talks about, and this, you know, again, as deep work was, this these were both written long before the pandemic. She talks about how to get this focused work and, and um, to get deep into learning, which is what we're doing, right? Or figuring hard things out. That's what we're doing when we're accountants. We are looking at problems. Um, maybe it's a complex tax return. Maybe it's, a, it's some kind of firm management issue, staffing or productivity. Uh, maybe it's integration work and trying to figure out the way software works. So like for accountants, it's, you know, this is how I related to it. As an accountant, I need to get into that zone, into that flow. And and Cal Newport talks about this too, but um, you, you can't do that with distractions. And, you know, go back 10 years, you and I are about the same age, go back 10 years when, when we were working in offices on site. Um, you know, the big thing was these co-working spaces and open offices and bullpens. And, you know, it wasn't, um, everyone was, collaborative and, and folks 
experts thought this was the answer to moving intelligent work forward. But now we know that that's, or we, a lot of people believe that's the total opposite of what's what's happened. And we have to be able to zone into what we're doing in these block, blocks of time. So um, between between that book and deep work, um, I mean, it just keeps, it keeps solidifying this concept that what we need is to turn off distractions, get rid of the unimportant things, um, and get to a place where we can really create something of intellectual value. And that's hard. That's, that's really hard. It, and it, is, it seems like it's getting harder. So that's the whole point of this book is things of value, the wildly important things in your career are going to take you intentionally setting time aside frequently over large periods of time to accomplish things, which, by the way, actually is a segue into a question I want to ask you because because I want to know more about something that you've been working on that ties to this. But so you you have this book coming out and I want I want to ask you about that. Um, I know a little bit about it, but I, I figure that people who are listening might not know about it. So like start from there and maybe we'll work our way back to like how you actually made this happen because I know you're a busy person. But tell us about the book. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so as you know, I've been in the zero world for eight years, I guess. I mean, I I adopted it as my GL platform back when I started my practice around 2012, 2013, very early in the days of zero being in the US and um, kind of figured it out and just just got really into it and started, ended up training people on zero. And so, I don't know, I kept getting asked for help in how to, how to learn zero, how to use zero as an advisor. I mean, zero certainly has a lot of resources. They have a help center. Um, the help center is probably equally focused between small business users, direct users and accountants and bookkeepers, but there wasn't, there wasn't a really good resource for accountants and bookkeepers and how to use zero as a, as a, an advisor. Um, and so I had, I had all this stuff in my head and figured I would put it out in a book. So it was, it was an interesting process. Um, I had never, you know, I'd written a lot of content. And when I say content, I mean articles, <laughs> right. um, webinars, maybe some instructional manuals on things, you know, a couple pages long. But I ended up writing something like 86,000 words. And this was, um, I know it's crazy. That's crazy. It, the, so it is on Amazon now. Um, so you can, you can find the link on Amazon. But when the publisher proposed, you know, the, the specs to me, I think it was slated for like 336 pages. I don't know how they come up with this. I don't know. <laughs> but he says, well, you know, can you write us 336 pages about zero? I was like, sure. Just wrote a bunch of pages. Um, and it turns out like the Amazon listing now is like 400 and something, 440. Wow. I don't know. So that feels I did a lot of writing last year. That feels very grown up to me that to, to, to produce 400 pages on anything. Me too. <laughs> so w- what is the title of it? It is zero colon a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers. Oh. US edition. Now I know who it's for. That was my other question. Yeah. It's it's built on the it's built on the US edition um, software, but I will say it's probably applicable to every every zero um, accountant and bookkeeper around the world. So. Ha- okay, okay, so yeah. then then let me bring it back to deep work. 
how in the world did you get this done with all the stuff that you have going on? And like, how do you, how did you organize your, yourself to, to get this done? And, and also how long did it take? So like walk us through the project. Um, sure. So it took four, four and a half months, five months. So it's funny. <laughs> this is a true story. So uh, I go to the book pitch, I guess, um, which is a virtual meeting, of course, in April, April or May. And let me do the math. Yeah, April, May. And I talk to the editor and tell him, you know, Zero's picking up market share in the U.S. There's not another uh, good resource. We should do this. Yes, Amanda, we should do this. How fast do you think you can do this? Like, well, I don't know. I've never written a book before. Right. How long does it take to write a book? Most people, it takes about a year. Um, but can you do it in four months? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, sure. You know, I'll just do it. Last summer was the book of, was the summer of writing the book. So... So my due date was, I, th- I want to say no, um, September 30th was the due date for the book. And I uh, got into September and found out, because I still do a lot of work with Zero as a, an ambassador, found out that there were about to be some significant product changes in the next few weeks. Yeah. So that's that's the, the bad side to writing a book about software that changes all the time is that it, you know, is somewhat outdated by the time it goes to print. But I had to ask the editor for another couple of weeks to, to focus on one specific area that I knew was going to change a lot. So, so it took four and a half months. Um, but then, you know, I turned it in in, in in October and it will be published on April 20th of this year. So it is a little bit like having a baby, like all the fun stuff happened and then I have to wait <laughs> for all these months to get the baby. When When can you get a copy of it? Is it on Amazon now? You can pre-order it on Amazon. <clears throat> you pre-order it, and then what did you what did you learn about deep work for yeah. when it comes to writing a book? So exactly what we were talking about. Like you can't create something without being one hundred percent focused on it. I mean, I was creating something from scratch. Right, this didn't exist. It wasn't revision. It wasn't uh, proofreading. It was literally crafting together sentences, putting together words and ideas and concepts from scratch. So, so I had to block out time every single day. Um, and I, I kept, so the way I did it, like logistically, I did it in Google, did it on Google docs with a, um, I had one master doc where each chapter was linked. So I could see a constant word count just to try to get, because I had no, I just had no idea how, how long it was going to be. So, or how long it needed to be. So I did it, um, I did it in Google, but I, I would work every, try and work every day and think, okay, well, you know, I knew my good, like my good days were five, 6,000 word days. And then my terrible days were five, 600 word days. And sometimes it flows and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing is, is that I became very aware of is, is not every day is going to be a good writing day. And I mean, I think that's universal. Like not every day are you firing on all cylinders professionally, but when you are, you got to take advantage of it. You got to do it either way too. You got to, you got to produce at least try to produce on every day. And I think flow comes from, from effort. It's not your mood or how you're feeling or the conditions that are going on in your life. Like you got to work yourself into flow and make it happen. Well, you certainly need to set yourself up for the best possible situation and having social media 
on or paying attention to email is not the way, right way to do it, which makes me, I want to ask you this question about um, distractions and focus work. So, you know, you and I have ridden this whole modern firm wave <laughs> from the big, you know, call it eight years ago um, to now where there are certain things that firm owners are told constantly, you need to do this, you need to do this. You've got to, you know, use fixed value pricing. You've got to offer advisory services. One of the things that I've heard a lot is you've got to be present on social media. You've got to go find your clients. So how do you balance as a firm owner, a social media presence and managing that and being responsive to how do you, how do you balance that with intense focused work? Well, interestingly, Cal Newport, who wrote this book that we are all talking about in this podcast, he is on no social media because he thinks it's all a distraction. And I can't say that I can't say that he's wrong. I mean, the, the I guess the question is is um, who's responsible for selling your firm and 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 finding new clients? And I think you are as the owner, no matter what. And so you have to do things. But I mean, the the assumption there though is that the how you're going to find new clients is is by being present on social media and commenting. And I, 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 that feels true to me, but I think, I think there's, there's a bet, there's another way, which is like in the production of content and the being out in your community and speaking and the production of uh, resources on your website that SEO will find and even paid search. I mean, I do, I do see the value in, in social media, but I'm, I've been kind of down on social media for the past couple of years. I killed my Facebook account two years ago. I'm really glad I did that. And, um, and, but I, on Twitter, I just get on to just like basically look what, what, what you're saying and, and, uh, you know, the thought, thought leaders in the industry. Um, so I, I, th- I think, I think I was, I would answer it like this. There are buckets of time where everything has to get done. And the only way you're going to be successful is if you are intentional about allocating those times. And one of those times is called marketing your firm. And we can agree or disagree about how you're going to do that. But the only person that's responsible for that is you. I don't think you pay somebody a few hundred dollars a month, like manage your firm's social media marketing and should expect a whole lot out of it. There are some people that are so good at social media marketing and and like because they are creative and doing something a little bit out of the box and and interesting and like but if you're not producing stuff that people are gonna stop down and actually check out on social, you're probably you're probably spinning your wheels and you probably need to find something else to do. Is that an unpopular opinion or, or, uh, or what? No, I don't, I don't think it's unpopular. It's probably not as fun (laughs) as, as being on social media. Although I have to say, I like to think that I find clients on social media. I'm not sure that I have gotten one client off of social media, but I have gotten some good recipes, some good recommendations on hiking trails. And you've been entertained. Um, I've been entertained. Then I've that's been entertained. fine, and 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 you should have that if that's important to your life, then you should do it. But don't don't uh, confuse it with being productive for your business if it's not. I haven't figured this one out. Yeah, I think I mean I, no, but I think you're really I think you're onto something that there's this assumption that everyone buys into that social media presence equals clients, but I don't I don't know that it does. I'd love to hear other people's opinions if you. Um, they might listening wants to, to send me an email or or find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. <laughs> I know a guy who um, lives in in Delaware, and he had a traditional firm. It, and like the name of his firm is like his name, 
and he had an interior design client. You know, my wife, Lacey's an interior designer. And he, this interior design client convinced him to his great pleasure to write a, a, a white paper, a little, just put up this thing called, that he wrote called, uh, you know, accounting for interior design firms. And he sent it to this company called Ivy, which is a, like a, like a practice management software for interior design companies. It's owned by Howls, H-O-U-Z-Z. You've probably heard that name. So Ivy's like, oh, let's get you on, on a webinar and you can talk about your book. This guy's name is Peter Lang. And now he's like the interior design accountant of America. And <laughs> he blew up after he produced this piece of content. I don't think he's, I don't know if Peter's on social media or not, but he, like, he, he made an incredibly useful piece of content for his niche and then found a partner to get it in, in their hands. And, and he knew, he knew his value. He knew that they needed this content. And, um, now that was a marketing home run and it took him writing a book or writing a, a 30 page book to do it, not a 400 page book. But isn't that a great story? It is a good story. And, and I think probably lots of folks out there think about doing that. They just feel like they don't have time to write 30 pages, but you do, you do. If you, if you make time for Get it, Get off social media and you'll, you'll make time to do it. Maybe that's, maybe that's a lesson. So um, let's talk a little bit more social and a little bit less media. Are you coming to New Orleans this summer for accounting salon? I will be there. Will I be able to see you and all of our other friends in person? Is that? It? Are you asking for a prediction? I was asking for a commitment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because I I missed it so much last year, and um, I went the first two years. It was so much fun. I I, I the the first year was was a blast. It was so organic, and it was it was just. What I love about it is I learn something every every time somebody in that room opens their mouth. And I was lucky to speak, but it's it's really more about the, the, the side conversations that happen. It's the, what did you call it? The non-conference? The anti-conference? <laughs> well, we've always said, like, it's the back of the room. It's the the hotel bar conversation. So... Well, you know, it's a two and a half hour drive for me. I just, I just have one request. We just need to get some char grilled oysters at Acme or, or one of the other good places to, to go in New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. If that's all it takes, you can have all the oysters you want. Yeah, we love New Orleans. That's we we live two and a half hours, and ever since any of my kids were two, we we've always been taking them over for an overnight that's the big city like it has skyscrapers and big restaurants and famous places to eat and cafe dumont and we don't stay out too terribly late in the french quarter with our little kids but we go there early have a great meal and, and i mean just being in a hotel room in the big city is so much fun i love so that. fancy so fancy well i will see you in new orleans soon darling um it was good to chat chat with you good to catch up and um congrats and good luck on this new endeavor that you have going on i know you're gonna knock it out of the ballpark. Congrats on your book and thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun, Amanda. It's good to see you again. Take care.